Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, my name is Noah. Today's reading is from Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18a. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as we continue in the book of Philippians, I think I'm on. I want to start with one question this morning. And that question, is it possible to grow God's kingdom in a world that is running away from him? You know, our goal here at Ankeny Gospel is to advance the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet it can be a fairly discouraging time to do that, right? We can be honest about that. But the question is, and it's related to what Paul is trying to encourage the Philippian believers about this morning is, is it possible to grow God's kingdom in a world that is running away from him? We often talk about advancing the gospel and building the kingdom of God. It's very missional. It's very aspirational language. But what does it really mean to build the kingdom of God? In its most literal sense, it means seeing someone go from death to life, seeing somebody accept the free gift of eternal life and becoming a child of God and entering into the kingdom of God one person at a time. That's growing the kingdom of God. But what does that look like? How does that happen? How does that go about? Sometimes we get the idea that I have to be very persuasive, that I have to have all the answers because people have lots of questions. Or maybe it takes uh, an eloquent, persuasive, passionate preacher to convince somebody to accept the free gift of eternal life. We have preconceived notions, we all do, on how this can happen. Do you ever think this way? We think that people come to Christ in a certain way, right? Usually, as we think about somebody coming to Christ, it's in a neat, orderly, logical argument that they agree to. And it's very orderly, it's very neat, it's very predictable, and and that is what is in our mind. And for sure, there are a lot of people that do come to Christ that way, right? 
their struggling life, they sit down with a friend and they talk to them and that friend shares with them the good news of Jesus Christ and they say, yes, that, that's what I need. And they come to Christ that way. But there are a lot of times when it doesn't work that way. You know that? And if we think that that's the only way that it happens, then our thinking is limited. You know, as we read through the Bible, we see a lot of occasions where the advancement of the gospel doesn't necessarily happen in a neat, tidy, orderly, logical way, right? And so just for a little bit of fun this morning, indulge me, okay? Turn over to Acts chapter 19. This is one of those occasions where it wasn't so neat, logical, and orderly. Starting in verse 11 of Acts chapter 19, it says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hand so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought back to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you to come out by Jesus, the name that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva and a Jewish high priest were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus. And I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had believed, many who became believers, came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone so that they calculated the value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. Not exactly the normal way that we see a revival, right? It's not our normal experience. And so what we need to do is to think outside of the box and not put the gospel in this tiny little box and say, well, if it doesn't fit here, it can't happen. Because God is able to do amazing things. And that is what Paul is encouraging the Philippian believers about here in still in chapter one. It's easy to get distracted or discouraged by the loud voices and the spectacle of life. The Philippian believers were looking at Paul's circumstance they were thinking, here's a champion, Paul, who has been all over the known world preaching the gospel and building the church and doing all this, and he's in prison. And the gospel is halted, and he wanted to encourage them that that wasn't the case. He wanted to encourage them that what God had started, and this is what he had said in verse 6 of chapter 1, that what God had started he will complete, he will be faithful to complete it. He wanted to make sure that they knew that that was the case, even if he was in prison. God had started the work. God is the agent, not us. It's not our persuasiveness. It's, it's not our work. And the good news is there is no empire, there is no ideology, and there is no force that can stand against him. Do you believe that? Because we feel a little outnumbered today, don't we? We feel like the voices against God are louder than ours. And we get discouraged. And that's what 
Paul was concerned about with the Philippian believers. He did not want them to get discouraged. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted them to know that even though it looks bleak, God is winning. Brothers and sisters today, the good work that God had started is still today being completed, and God is winning. Don't get discouraged. And so Paul wants to express to them how he is doing and and what's going on with the ministry. And so what we're going to look at this morning are three realities. The first one is the opposition to Paul's ministry. The second is the pattern of Paul's thinking. And then the third reality is the joy of Paul's heart. So Paul wasn't sugarcoating it. He was saying, okay, this is the situation that's going on. I am in prison. In verse 13, he says, if I can find it, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment. He is saying, I am in prison. Know what that means. Paul is under house arrest. It's possible that he's been under house arrest now for some time. He was uh, in house arrest for up to two years. And what that means is he was physically chained to another human being, a guard, in this house so that he couldn't get away. So get this picture in your mind. Here's Paul sitting in a chair with a chain to another human being. Now, let's do the math, okay? Let's say that these guys had eight-hour shifts like we do. And he was in prison for two years. That's three people a day for two years. Somebody was chained to Paul. And I got I to gotta think they had a conversation or two, don't you? Like, yeah, how's the weather? Yeah, why are you here? And he goes, let me tell you, I got some important news for you. And Paul spent this time talking to these guys that were chained to him. And so when these guys were no longer chained to him, what do you think they did? They went back and they told the other guards and they told their family and they told their friends. And through this, the gospel was spreading and the gospel was growing. And what they thought they were going to stop, God saw fit to grow. Now, at the same time, that God was using Paul's imprisonment because his his voice out there preaching to the masses was silent. There were other people that were stepping into that gap, weren't there? And we see that in verse 15. It says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy. Well, that doesn't sound good. So Paul's chained up. Other people say, oh, I want some of that action. Paul had gotten to be pretty well known so that, you know, like we saw in Acts 19, people were chasing after him and they were trying to rub cloths on his skin. And I mean, there were a lot of people that wanted to be around him and there were other people that were jealous. Hey, I'm a religious person. I I want people to follow after me. And so there were these people because Paul was chained up and they had always been envious of him, that they went out and they started doing it to see if they could get a following. So there were people that were preaching the gospel because they were envious of what Paul had accomplished. 
Then in verse 17, it also goes on and say, others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. So these are the people that are seeing the opportunity for, their, for themselves, right? They want to go out there and build a brand, if you will. They want to go out there and advance themselves. They, they have a selfish motive, an ambitious selfish motive to go out and do this. And so they're out there preaching the message that Paul had been preaching, but they were doing it so that they could make themselves to be something. And then also in verse 17, it goes on and it says, not only out of selfish ambition, but not sincerely. These were people that were almost cynical. They were out there preaching this message for whatever reason, whatever motive, but they weren't sincere. They didn't believe it. They had their own reasons for doing it. And it's, it's easy for us to look around today, isn't it, at other churches who do it differently? And nitpick and, and, and say, well, that's no good, and that's no good, and that's no good. And yet, as Paul is sitting here in prison, he is going through these, all of these things that people are doing. He said, some of them are doing it. They, they don't even mean it. But you know what the good news is? Sincerity is not a requirement for the gospel to be effective. Sincerity is not required for the gospel to be effective. The gospel itself is the power of God to salvation. So, there were some reading on in verse 17, thinking that they would cause Paul trouble in his imprisonment. And so, some of it were using the occasion of the gospel to think, I am really going to twist the screws to Paul, and I am going to hurt him and his ministry, and I'm going to go out, and they had evil motives. And then lastly, in verse 18, it says, um, some of them proclaimed uh, whether out of false motives. And so they had false motives. They weren't, um, they weren't motivated by anything right. So we've got all these people that are out there preaching the gospel, and not one of them are doing it for the reason that Paul was, right? And yet... The gospel continued to go forward. As we look at Paul's situation, not knowing any of the information there, we would say that's pretty bleak. All of these people are taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment. They are muddying the message. They are confusing the people. They are hurting Paul. They were doing all, all these people that are doing this. Somebody needs to go in and make it right. It's not right that these people are using the gospel to advance themselves. It's not right that they're doing all of this. And yet, Paul says, <clears throat> what does it matter? What does it matter? Think about that for a minute. We get really, really worked up about a lot of stuff when it comes to this, right? And we get really worked up about stuff that doesn't matter at all. And we think that there's no way that God could use that person or that group or that church. I remember when I was a young seminary student, believing it, it used to, you know, I used to be that. And I went out with an older person in the church. This gentleman was telling me about their church and all this and how awful all these other churches were. And I said, 
Well, do you think God is happy with any other church other than this one? And he said, I don't know of any, do you? And he was sincerely, he meant that. That that's the only way that God can work. If we start thinking like that, we get really protective, don't we? And we get really worried and we get really concerned. And we look at the world and we think there's no way to advance the gospel because it has to be our way. And the world is out there recreating language so that they can advance agendas. They are denying reality and they're saying that men can have babies and all kinds of craziness. And how are we going to go up against that? There's divisiveness in our culture that is beyond anything that we can imagine. You know, it used to be that we could have a difference of opinion, but we can't have that anymore, can we? Because if we have a difference of opinion, somebody puts a label on it, and all of a sudden our opinion becomes, becomes evil and immoral. And if we hold a position that's different from yours, then I am evil and I am immoral. It is a frustrating time. It's a very frustrating time. And we see out there that so many are hating the things that God loves and loving the things that God hates. And we can get distracted with all of that. And we can spend all of our energy trying to fix all of that. And I'm not saying that it's not important that we don't have a role in, in culture and society. But we need to also realize that God is still in control. And I know that we've said that over and over again, but the reality is Paul's situation was bleak and dark and hopeless, and God was doing amazingly incredible work for the gospel. And he can do that here as well. So Paul was very honest about his situation. He laid out exactly what was going on, but he didn't do it so that they would feel sorry for him. They, he did it because he wanted to share with them his pattern of thinking and help them to think like he was. One commentator, Stephen E. Fowle, put it this way. Paul is sim not simply relating news about himself. He's trying to shape the way the, Philippian view, the Philippians view the news. And so he was trying to shape what they were thinking. Now, immediately you think of spin, right? I mean, that's our world, is, is somebody shares news and then they automatically try to spin it, which means they take the pieces of information that they want you to focus on, leave out the rest, and try and convince you of a position whether it's true or not. That is not what Paul is trying to do here. Paul is trying to help the Philippian believers to think rightly about what's going on. His desire is to help them to lift their eyes above the events that were going on and that they were experiencing and to put their attention onto the truth of God's magnificent sovereign power as a continual discipline that we need to do. So in verse 6, again, from last week, he said, I'm sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ. And then in verse 12, he goes on and he starts our section by saying, now I want you to know this. It's important. He says, I want you to know this, that he, that, that brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Now they had to immediately think, Spin, you're in prison and you're telling us it's a good thing, right? That, 
That doesn't make sense. So he goes on to talk about it. He says, verse 13, he says, so that what has become known through the whole imperial guard, like I had mentioned, there were a lot of people that he had come in contact with. There were possibly up to 9,000 imperial guardsmen. Now, I'm sure they didn't all come into contact with him. But there were a number of them, and some of them actually believed the news that he had shared with them. And then in verse 13, it says not only the guards, but also everyone else. There was talk starting to happen. Here's Paul, this Roman citizen who was in prison for not doing anything illegal. So he's this famous guy. He's in prison. He hasn't committed a crime. Everybody knows why he's in prison. It's because of his faith and what he is preaching, and that's why he's there. And so people are talking about that, and it's becoming known. Verse 14, he says, Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord. This is interesting, isn't it? Because you would think the opposite would be true. It's that if our leader is in prison and his ministry is stalled, you would just on the face of it think that would be a discouraging thing. But it says they've gained confidence in the Lord. And in verse 14, it goes on to say they dare, dare even more to speak the word fearlessly and to preach in verse 16 out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So what's happening is the brothers in Christ, they probably sat back for a second and thought, okay, Paul just got arrested. What's going to happen? Now, all of a sudden, they see God expanding the gospel through ways they could never have imagined. And now, all of a sudden, they're saying, God is showing up. I can speak out, and I can share the truth. And God can use that. If God can use Paul's imprisonment, God can use my life, even though I'm nobody. And so these guys started to get more bold, and they started to lose their fear of what would happen to them, and they went out and they started to preach the gospel. And that's what he wanted these Philippian believers that had heard that he was in prison. Don't feel bad. Don't worry. God started the work. God is completing the work. He's completing the work through me and talking to people. He's completing the work through people talking. He's completing the work through the brothers that are here and the, and the, the courage that he has given them. He wants them to be encouraged that all of the things that Satan meant for evil are being destroyed. It's almost as if the adversity has taken the blinders off to enable everyone to see the miraculous work that God is doing, even though his chosen messenger is in chains. So what does this tell us? Well, we know that Paul said in verse 16 that he was appointed for the defense of the gospel. But you know what else is true? Is that God appointed him, but God did not need him. Now, we talk about Paul all the time, and he is a great man of the faith. And he wrote so much of this book that we enjoy so much. But guess what? When he was chained to a guard, that didn't slow God down at all. God did not need him. He used him for his own reasons, just like he can use any one of us for his own reasons. And that is an encouraging thing for us to think about this morning is that God can use us. 
So that reminds us of the theme for Philippians, the way up is down. And to realize that it is not us. It is not our cleverness. It is not our persuasiveness. It is not our knowledge. It is not how many years we've been going to church. It is God's work. And all we have to do is to surrender to him and let him work through us and see what he will do. All we can do is get in the way if we think we're something special that God would want to use us. And so by humbling our hearts and our minds, we can be an instrument used of God for his purposes. Is there anything better? We feel at AGC, as a new church plant, a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility to be doing a lot of things, don't we? And, and that's right. There is a lot of work to do. But let us never forget that the true work that is being done here isn't because of any of us. God does not need us. God wants to advance his kingdom in this city, and he is doing it, whether we're here or not. And that takes the pressure off of us. And that's why it takes us to the third truth, the third reality, which is the joy of Paul's heart. Paul had progressed beyond <clears throat> being concerned about how the gospel was preached because he was in chains and God didn't need him. But Paul was overflowing with gratitude and excitement, watching God defeat the darkness. And as he's sitting there and hearing about what's going on, he, you, you, you can imagine that he'd almost be giggling you thought you had me. You thought you had my message stopped. And look at what God's doing. He says, you, you have no power against God. And in that moment, he was just overcome with joy. And he could say, what does it matter why these people are doing that? If they're preaching the gospel... <laughs> They're doing God's work. God is doing his work using them. They can't stop him if they wanted to. You know, who, who is it in our lives and in our world that frustrate us? If we're honest, most of us would say it's the people of the political party that we don't agree with. Can you imagine... If God did a revival in those people, like he did here, what would we think? What if God used them to advance his kingdom? What would we think? Well, that can't be real. That can't be done because they don't agree with me. My friends, God is at work and he is doing amazing things. And even though Paul's voice was silenced, the, the, the greatness of God's message was being heard far and wide by all kinds of strange people. You know, it reminded me as I was thinking about a, a, a guy named P.T. Barnum. Maybe you've heard of Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus, the circus is now. Well, P.T. Barnum said, there's no such thing as good, as bad publicity. And then there's another guy, uh, Oscar Wilde, who was a 19th century poet, he said, there's only one thing in the world worse than being 
talked about and that's not being talked about. You know, we're not talking about publicity. We're not talking about promotion. We're talking about the gospel. And the gospel is powerful, but it needs to be heard. You know, you've heard somebody say, you know, uh, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Well, guess what? Words are necessary. And those words coming out of the mouth of somebody in this room or somebody who doesn't even believe it doesn't take the power of the gospel away. It is an amazing thing, and we need to be encouraged by it. Romans 1.16 is a verse I quoted earlier. It is the, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and to the Greek. The gospel is the power. The gospel is the power. The word of God is the power. It's not us. It's not our strategies. It's not our ideas. It's not our persuasiveness. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power. So in closing, I just want to say, what is the gospel? We've talked a lot about it. We put the name in our church name, gospel. The gospel is that the always existing God, existing in pure love, created out of that love everything that we have. And in a unique way, he formed one special creation in his image named man that he could have a unique relationship with. And because man sinned against God, he broke that relationship and caused there to be brokenness and separation. But God in his love wanted that relationship restored. And the only way for that to happen was for there to be a perfect man that could be sacrificed to pay the price of the sins of everybody, and it was impossible for us. So God himself came down and took on our human flesh and experienced hunger, experienced temptation, experienced fear, experienced pain, experienced everything that we experience, yet without sin. And he knew what his mission was. And so he went to the cross and he took that perfect life that he had lived and he voluntarily gave it up and he was beaten and he was mocked and he was scorned and he was humiliated and he was finally hung on the tree until he gave up the ghost and he laid down his life that paid the price for all of our sins And he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead to break the power of sin and death in our life. And now he sits offering that as a free gift to all of us. All of us were born with a void, with an emptiness, with a longing, with a sadness. And we spend our lives trying to salve that and fix that. And there's only one way. And that's by receiving that free gift that God has provided for us. And that doesn't just mean, yeah, I believe that to be true. It's coming to the realization 
that I am lost, I am doomed, I am hopeless, and I need a Savior. I am, I am without any hope. I want a Lord. I want a Savior that I can give all of my stuff to and receive from him his righteousness so that I can be in his family. And he now is the Lord of my life. And the only thing that's important to me is that he's happy with my life. Is what I'm doing consistent with what he wants me to do? That's the relationship that he has for us. And in that relationship is a sweetness that we get a taste of now that is going to be fully known in the future. And so you may be here this morning and you may think, well, I'm part of the launch team. Of course I'm a Christian. <clears throat> I want to ask you to be honest with yourself. Has there come to the point in your life when you came to the realization that I, was, I am absolutely lost and I am in desperate need of a Savior and I am going to accept that free gift and I'm going to reorient my life toward him. He is my God. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And what he says, I will gladly do to the best of my ability. If you've not come to that point, just agreeing with the facts of what we preach isn't enough. James says, even the demons believe it to be true, but they tremble. And so this morning... You know, Paul was encouraging the Philippian believers that were discouraged because the gospel was held back, that it's not held back. It is powerful. There is no force that can stop it. And that gospel is equally as powerful today. And the forces that we get so concerned about, they don't have a chance against it. We are not in defensive mode here trying to keep the Christians safe. We're on offense. We're out there assaulting the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It starts in this room, though. And I don't assume that everybody sitting in a chair here this morning has accepted that free gift and enjoy the sweet fellowship with Jesus. And so what I want us to do this morning, I'm going to pray here in a minute. And when I stop praying, I want you to continue to pray. And either you're going to thank God for the joy of your relationship with him, or you're going to ask him for the very first time. I don't know what your situation is, but if you're a believer, spend that time just celebrating in gratitude. And if you're sitting here and say, this is the first time that I've really been faced with this, I want that. I want that reality. Then pray that. And then after a few minutes, Parker's going to come up and, and close us out. Let's pray. Lord, your gospel is unstoppable. There is no force that can stand against you. You are the holy creator God. You are greater than anything and anyone. And it is an unbelievable gift that you have provided for us. 
that you have made a way for us to have a restored relationship with you. That that hurting, that emptiness, that longing that was born into each one of us can be filled with your love and that we can be complete in you and that we can enjoy a peace that passes understanding with your indwelling Holy Spirit. Lord, if there is somebody here this morning that has not come to the place of surrender, of repentance and acceptance of your love, I pray that this would be the morning. I pray that your spirit would make it very clear to them that this is for them now and that you would receive the, the glory and the praise and the honor for it. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.